Hello, I'm Gary Robinson and welcome to the podcast In Conversation With. This week, I'm with John Ross. Hello, John. Gary, nice to see you again. Um, since we last spoke, Ogilvy Ross has gone, keeps going from strength to strength, and now it's award season, 2018, uh, as, as uh, award seasons tend to come around year after year, and you're up for a gong. We are, yes. You're up for a gong. Uh, very pleased. We are up for the responsible business category for Edinburgh Chamber of Commerce. How did that come about? Now I know you filled in numerous forms, mm. but but how how did uh, how did it all all come about? Well, we've we've been members of the chamber for a couple of years. Um, we missed last year's awards; we, we weren't available. Um, when it came through this time, we sort of sat down as a team and said, "Well, are there any categories that that we think we should apply for?" Um, and the responsible business kind of resonated with us because of the way we operate, the things that we do, not just from a sustainability point of view, but just the way we like to treat people and the way we like to act as a business. So we kind of filled in the form, sent it off, and in all fairness, completely forgot that I'd sent it off. Um, and then the next thing was on social media, um, my wife was, was looking at it in the evening and she said, what's this award you're up for? And I said, I've no idea, what's that come from? She said, oh, you're You've just posted up that you're shortlisted for an award. So I had to quickly phone Greta, who manages our social media, and say, we're up for an award. Uh, where when she said, oh, yeah, we're up for a responsible business. So so what, what does it take to be a responsible business? Million-dollar question, I suppose, and we could be here all day, but shortcut it if you can. From our point of view, very much from a personal point of view, it's just looking at what you do and who you deal with and who works with you. And I think... Being sensible, being being responsible. Actually looking at it and saying, these people have lives. They don't just work for us. They have families. and there's, We took the view that Ogilvy Ross is a family. Not just the people that work for us, but the people that they care about become part of who we care about. And the sustainability side has been there since day one when we first set up. So I was never concerned about our sustainable credentials because they're pretty well proven and we've won awards for that. But it's actually how we manage people, whether they're employees, partners, their families, or whether it's clients. And for us, it's just a mindset about how you look after people. There's a couple of questions I have around that in just a, a second, because you make it sound straightforward. I have a sneaking suspicion it's not, it's as, not as straightforward as you may make out. So I'll give you an example. I'm reading your, your list of achievements here, 2005. Ogilvy Ross were the smallest company in the UK to be certified to the, right, big deep breath for me now, the, uh, keep me right on this, the ISO 14001 environmental standard, is that right? Yeah, that was um, the work we were doing at the time. We were very heavily involved in sustainable procurement and advising public sector bodies. Um, and ISO 14001 is the international standard for environmental management within the company. So what does that mean in layman's terms? Are you into, is it recycling stuff? Is it not throwing <coughs> different skips? It looks at everything that you do. So you have an aspects register where you look at every aspect of your business. Transport, shipping, waste, how you handle staff, how you manage the offices. And recognise that they all have an environmental impact. So you're using energy, you're using resources. And 14001 means that you set out a policy on how you're going to manage these in the most sustainable way. And for us, because we were involved in that environment, we thought it was probably a good idea to try and get it. 
we had no idea what was going to be involved being hooked. I mean, there were only two of us at the time, so there were two people. Um, and we, we, we went through the process. It took us almost a year to do. Um, Kirstine, who was a partner at the time, had to then become an internal auditor for ISO 14001 because you have to have a member of staff who can do this. And she became the driving figure of making this happen for us as a business. And when we were certified, we were quite surprised when the audit body came back and said, as far as they knew, we're the smallest business has ever done it. A two-person business doesn't normally get ISO 14001. Um, but it allowed us to set up not just our environmental management system, but also we used it for quality control purposes as well, because it gives you a lot of disciplines. So it's about employing what I would classify as kind of big business principles to a micro business and then sticking by and saying, yep, actually, this is how we manage things. And we've done it ever since. It, uh, it, it must be, because I know we've, we've spoken about it briefly, but there is a there are cost element to this, a cost element in terms of time, manpower, which is quite clear. Um, and I'm sure that there's a, a cost element to having the award. Was there a return? Was there an ROI on this? There probably was, but it'd be very difficult to say exactly what it amounted to. More of what we were doing was we wanted to do it ourselves because we felt it was an important thing to do. We were working in an environment where we're a, we're a micro company competing in a big marketplace. It certainly gave us a marketing advantage to be able to say that we have 14,001. And in certain tender situations, we could compete for things which a normal consultancy company was really going to struggle with. So it definitely gave us that advantage. Whether it generated any new business, I, would, I don't think it did, but it certainly helped the emphasis. And it was an investment we needed to make. And you're not, it's not really that expensive because all you're doing is you're changing the way you manage things. So is it, is it, um, is it an environmental way of being an investor in people? Is it, is it like having an investors in people? It, it's it's very much like that. Investors in people, similarly, what it does is you set out your stall and say, this is how we are going to work with our staff. This is how we're going to invest in our people. Okay. What 14001 does is it says, this is how we run this business from a sustainable and environmentally sensitive point of view, looking at every aspect that we have. It sounds quite sci-fi, doesn't it? Forty thousand and one. <laughs> um, let's move on from from that to um, what some people might deem the touchy-feely stuff mm -hmm. about giving back. Yeah. Because Ogilvy Ross is a major supporter of the local area in particular mm -hmm. and the wider environs. Um, how did all that come about? We'll talk about staff in a moment. But how important is giving back to the community? Because you've given back a substantial amount of cash. Uh -huh. Uh, in, I think in terms of hard cash, but also in terms of physical support to lots of organisations and projects in the area. Giving back, um, it was something I'd always done without having a title to it. Um, I've done the kind of workaholic executive lifestyle where you fly out on a Monday and you come back on a Friday and everything else is secondary. And I'd got to the stage in my life where I didn't want to do that anymore. And I was looking for the things that actually interested me. Work always interested me, and it still does. But I actually had interests outside of that. Uh, and Anthony, as a partner, we were sitting down, and the work that he was doing, and, and still does to some extent, um, it's quite soul-destroying on occasions. He does a lot of flying. We had a situation this week. He got back from Stockholm at 2 o'clock in the morning and was in central Edinburgh at 8 o'clock the following morning to then do a series of meetings before he then got on a plane and then flew to London that night. Um, that can be very damaging to the soul. Um, we just took the decision to say we needed to have a mechanism, a formal mechanism that we turn around and say, do you know what, we're going to do different things. But I also looked at the fee income we were generating, and we do very, very well. And 
I was uncomfortable with that. Most of our work is London, Europe and the States. Um, and the consultancy rates there are substantially higher than you normally get in Scotland. And what we generate as daily fees is significant. And we just took a decision to say, from my feeling uncomfortable on that, I said, look, we need to do something with this money. It's not just coming in. We're not here to make masses of money. Um, we need to do something with it. So we decided that 10% of the profit would actually be used as a fund, that we could do the things we wanted to do with people who couldn't necessarily afford to do it without help. And, and that's really where it came from. And it then moved to a point that every Friday, we just said, right, well, we're not doing conventional work. We're going to do stuff with the charities and community sector. Um, and Ant and I then used that as, um, it started out jokingly as uh, Van Friday. And it would be in, we would hire a van and we would just make ourselves available to anyone that needed a van from the community sector. We would go and do stuff. But it actually was great for us because it, it gives you a sense of reality. To be, in, with a, to be with a corporate client whose complaint that morning, and I remember it vividly, was that getting into work was a problem because the helipad was so busy. Um, you sort of look at it and say, I'm not in the real world. When you're stuck in a transit van, humping a whole load of furniture around for a charity, you're very much in the real world. And it's important for us to have a balance that says, yeah, we work at the upper end of the corporate Global 500, but we also work with mental health charities in Perth that you know, needed our help to paint the offices mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford to do it. And that for us was a grounding that we still have now, and it's expanded across to everyone. And what we found was actually from our soul's point of view, it was great, and it's open to everyone that works with us, is that we'll say to them, you get two days every month, you can actually just go and do whatever you want to do as long as it's doing good for the community. Can be anything at all? Anything at all. Um, we, we really don't mind as long as they're not just taking two days off to watch telly. They've actually got to be doing something that benefits other people who couldn't necessarily do it without them. And it's covered everything. I mean, we took, I, I had a, an amazing couple of times when I took a, a, a mini, I drove the minibus for disabled athletes to go to events down in Manchester. That was fantastic because it gave them the opportunity. They couldn't have gone if they didn't have a driver mm. and they couldn't afford to pay for a driver. So for us to go and do it was fine. The thing is as well, John, you know, from, from what I see is that there's no, we'll talk about the, you know, the, the potential business gain if there is any on that, but it's not like you're asking for Ogilvy Ross, the logo to be splattered everywhere or indeed for people to know that you do this work. Yeah, it's not. we're not doing it for any promotional reasons. Uh, we're doing it for us. Um, you get an enormous amount of satisfaction doing something like that. More than you can possibly get being part of a major corporate deal. If we're advising on negotiation strategy, you're part of an entire group of people doing it. Um, if you go and paint the offices for a charity, you start with it unpainted, you finish with it painted, you can stand there and go, we did that. When we built the Cricket Pavilion, which was, um, we did 17, 17 consecutive weekends. Um, so it wasn't just during the week we would go up there. We'd actually just said, right, we're going to do this. That was a tremendous project to start from zero, when it was just grass, to actually build a building. I mean, we're fortunate we knew what we were doing, so it wasn't just we made this up. We actually understood it, we built it. Um, it gives a huge amount of satisfaction to you. Um, and that's why we do it. We invariably, there's no, we don't acknowledge that who we are, there's no logo, we don't really go beyond it. But we certainly talk to people about it because we are asked. But no, it's not a marketing episode for us. It, that aside, is there a business upside to running your business like that? There's definitely a business upside in the way that people react. 
they're far more balanced, they tend to be happier. We certainly find that they'll go the extra mile. We, we have a policy which is we don't really want people working more than four days a week. And the likes of Ant, when he's doing all his travelling, invariably what I will then do is if he's had a really hectic week all over the place, which does happen, I'd prefer he takes the next week off. Now, it's not about you, it's paid leave, it's just take the time off. Because actually you need to recharge your batteries. Most of what we do requires us to be quite creative, to be firing on all cylinders when the client needs us to do it. And the investment we make in people of saying, do you know what, you can just have time off, allows them to actually just shake all the rubbish off that you get from work. And we all get that. Work, work can be hard. The ability to get rid of that and just completely recharge their batteries, refocus, do something they really enjoy doing, and then come back to work, that's where the business benefit is for us. And it isn't necessarily something you can plot a graph and say, yeah, we make X amount of money because we do that. And it's not why we do it. We do it because actually we just want happy people. What about the the um, the feedback that you may get, or somebody listening to this going, yeah, you know what, John, that's all very well and good. Um, you know, the four days a week policy, the giving back, the 10%, so on and so forth. That's great, but actually, do you know what? I'm busy enough just, just trying to make ends meet on a on a daily basis. How do I how do I find time for this philanthropy? It's a very good question and I would I would answer it by looking at it in a different way. And I know lots of people who are flat out all the time and have no time for anything else. And I would argue that in that case you're doing it wrong. Because actually how effective are you? I know how effective we are and we're very effective at what we do. We don't run around. We have lots of downtime where we can actually just think about ideas. And when Anna and I go out in a van, invariably what we do is we kick ideas around. We're always discussing the things that are better by not being sort of straddled to the yoke of work and I must get this done. And I remember, I don't know, 20 years ago, um, I went to a business seminar and a chap stood up who, who ran a hairdressing business. And he talked about for 20 years he ran a hairdressing business and he was there every day and he cut every head of hair. And he then became ill and he was off for about two months. So we had to let staff get on with it. And when he came back, what he found was they were actually doing better than he was when he was there. So it, it allowed him to then sit back and say, well, I'm going to start running this business. And I know it's often talked about that the business runs you, you need to run the business. What we're trying to do is just simply look at this and say, we're going to run this business the way we want it to be. It's an easy thing to say. And you're right. People can listen and say, well, that's fine. That's well and good. You must be making loads of money. We are doing very well. Um, we're not we're not afraid to go out and work hard, but we will balance that with, okay, what we want to do. Could I make more money? Undoubtedly. If we were to turn around and say, right, we're doing a six-day week, and actually everyone's going to go out there, and I want all your billings to be this, that, and the next thing, we could probably do that for a short period. But I don't believe we could do it for the long period. And we just sat down and looked at the business and said, hang on a second, we could do that. I've done that in the past. However, is it what I want to do? Do I really want to feel like this? Do I want to be shattered every time I go to bed? Do I want to miss the weekends with the kids? Do I want to work myself to the point where I'm doing 18 hours a day just to survive? And it may become, <laughs> it, it may be controversial to say it, but if you're spending 18 hours a day just to survive, you're doing the wrong thing. And maybe you want to reassess what you should be doing and get a better balance. Um, and it's not being the airy-fairy, touchy-feely. It's actually just sitting down and saying, do you know what, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And I need to reevaluate where the priorities are. And the interesting thing for us, since we started working like this, actually our revenues have gone up 30% per annum. But, you, but, you, but there's not a direct correlation. Nope, I can't tell you why it has, but it just has. Right, okay. 
and we've got a happier workforce. Maybe there is a correlation. There, there could be, and I'm sure an academic somewhere can turn around and say that if you do this, then the next thing that happens. What I find from our point of view is the quality of our work has gone up, our ability to fee for that has gone up, and actually we have less clients now, but we do more with them because we do better work. I don't know whether that was my bit of technology. Or I think that was something in the office. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I just want to go on to um, the size of business. And in your opinion, um, is it as, as easy or as difficult to do what you're doing and adopt these policies for a small business as it is for a medium-sized business, as it could be for a large international, multinational, international corporate? There's two parts to that. Making the decision to do it is definitely easier in a small company because we can just decide to do it. And it doesn't cause chaos when we do it. We just decide we're doing it and we try it. And if it didn't work, we could quickly change again. That's the benefit of a small business. You can make changes very, very quickly. Where the difference comes in is the impact it has. So if we take a decision, and we, we had a situation recently <coughs> where one of the partners, uh, their child was badly injured in an accident. Now, we were actually at a meeting through in Edinburgh. The three, three partners were at a meeting. The phone call came into Greta and she said, oh my goodness, Eva's, Eva's had a bad accident, I've got to go. And we said, right, go, just go now, just go straight away, we'll sort everything out. Um, so when, when she's driving back, we just started putting things in place. Well, within 24 hours, we completely changed everything that happened in the business to allow the fact that actually Greta just needed to be with Eva. She'd had a really bad injury, she was going to be in hospital for a long time. Um, it was potentially a life-changing injury that she'd had. And for us, we just suddenly lost a third of our workforce at partner level, just disappeared. There was still all the work to be done, but you just have to make the decision and say, actually, we're going to back this up. It's not about that. We had to give them plenty of time to get through this. What we actually found was about two weeks later, because at that point, I think Eva had gone out of hospital, um, but she was now at home and she was, she, she was immobile. She couldn't move around and they were having to go to the hospital every second day. Um, it wasn't going to work having Greta trying to do normal work. So we just said, well, what, what do you want to do? And interestingly, she came back and said, well, actually, I have stuff I really want to do because I've got times when Eva's sleeping that actually I can easily do stuff here. So we then just investigated, okay, how do we do this? How do we, how do we fit the work around your life rather than you're going to have to fit into our work? And I think in a big company, if they lost a third of their workforce immediately, they couldn't adapt to that change. And I think it's easier in some respects for a small company to do it, but at the same time, a big company should have the ability to absorb an individual's problems. So from that point of view, big companies could do this quite easily on a per individual basis. Um, we did it when a third of our workforce had gone. Um, so if we can do it, they should be able to do it. It's a bit of a long-winded answer, but it, it's, it's looking at it from the two points. Yeah. Um, I, that was a really good point that you made because whether they may hear and whoever's listening to this may hear an interview with Greta about that very same subject and one of the points that I made was yeah but surely it's, it's easy for a, for, a, for a company for a smaller company as opposed to a larger company to adapt but actually the point that you make about well wait a minute Gary hang on I've lost a third of my workforce yeah Put, put and it's partner level. This, this was a partner. This, this yeah. was someone who was actually involved in critical things that were going on that we yeah. had to pick up. But you just have to embrace it and say, do you know what? This is what we're going to have to do. And at no point did Anna or I sit there and say, well, hang on, this is a problem. Our first reaction was, oh God, Eve has been badly hurt. Greta has got enough to go on with. And we just immediately buffered her from everything. Our view was she needed time. 
uncomplicated time to just sort things out with Eva and with Cameron, our son, um, because she still had to have a life that was going on at a time that was incredibly stressful. So it's about a mindset of saying, do you know what, it doesn't really matter. Just going back to the the, the award stuff, and mm. I, you know, this is the thing, John, with our history of podcasting is uh, we can never stick to 20 minutes. I'm just <laughs> really funny. conscious I've got to... No, I, I would crack on. Let's not worry. We can always do it as a two-parter. <laughs> two-parter. I've got my, this clock in my head. Uh, I love awards. I love awards. I love hosting award ceremonies. Uh, when I was in the radio industry, we felt we loved going in for awards. What I hated about awards, I love getting nominated, but then not winning. Now, I'm a bad loser. I'm a very bad loser. Um, so much so that I, you know, immediately I want to I want to walk out in the huff. It's a terrible thing to admit, but I'm I'm being really honest. Um, how important are awards? for businesses of any size. Re recognition. So somebody listening to this who's in an industry and has never gone for an award for various reasons, maybe it's time, maybe it's don't like the thought of losing, whatever it happens to be, how, how important are industry awards to business? That's a very good question. Um, firstly, I'll, I'll answer the part, no, I'm not competitive on that basis. Well, I, I, on that basis, yeah, on that basis, well, I'm not okay. competitive, um, and I'm I have no problem. In fact, I desperately and I'm not overly worried about winning because if you win, you have to go up and stand up in front of everyone and get your photograph taken and and do interviews and things like that, which I tend to avoid. Um, and I've already told Greta because she's coming that if we do win it, she's going up to get it anyway. So I'm not overly fussed about that part. Um, I like being there; that's good fun. The importance for business it is recognition. Um, and from my point of view, being shortlisted for an award is great. And the nice thing about this one is, as soon as you're you're up there as a nominee, you get a pack comes through from the chamber and it says you can now use these graphics on any of your marketing material to say that you are a 2018 nominee. That was on our letterheads within 10 minutes of it arriving. It was on our emails within 10 minutes of it arriving. So that we could set all of that, because that's important to us. To say we were a nominee, whether we win or not, that's kind of secondary. Um, and I genuinely don't get upset when I don't win. And we do get put forward for awards. We've won some and, and other ones we don't. Um, and I don't get upset because the fact you're in the room with people, you know, they, they have done something better than we did. And I don't, I don't worry about that. I could never do, you know when they pan in, when somebody loses an award at the Oscars and you've got to do the poker face and go, yes, well, okay, yeah, I don't mind, well done, I could never do that. In my face, <laughs> it takes you back to the Friends when, when Joey's up for an award and it pans round and he, it isn't him and everyone else is going politely clapping and he's in, wah, wah, Yeah, so I can see you doing that. No, I'd, I'd be the chap there with a happy smile saying, well done, that was fantastic. Yeah, no, I always um, think of the, the, uh, the absolutely fabulous scene where they're at these PR, PR, PR awards and they're almost doing that because they do it, they pick and lift, pick and lift so you can get the, you can get the table closer to the stage because you walk into an event and you think the closer the table is to the stage you must have won the award if you're in the, if you've got a table and you're right at the back of the hall uh, you think oh well yeah, the game's a bogey you know but it doesn't always work out like that I prefer hosting them than, than entering them now I have to say but I, I I'm with you on that and I think it's nice to get recognition and it shows that you are of a standard yeah. that is recognized by either your industry peers or, or people within the industry. It's a great talking point. And I mean, uh, you were the first person I contacted after we heard, because I said, hey, Gary, we need to sit down and have a chat about this, because this is really great. And certainly we use it from that point of view to talk about the award and some of what we're doing. So there's definitely for a small business, the opportunity to have a discussion point that goes out there. 
And we've already had a number of emails in from clients when they saw it uh, through social media saying that's really great. Well done, guys. Well deserved all this. So it, it emphasizes and re rebuilds the brand where the people are there. And who knows? Other people may look at this and go, who's this Ogilvy Ross mob? And they do a quick Google and they look at it. And that may attract them and say, oh, these, these are people we might want to talk to because we, we can see their values. And we shifted everything away from a promotional approach to an attraction approach, um, getting looking at the marketing side. Um, people come to us now. And what we want to do is if anyone should look at us because they've met us or read something or they've spoken to us or an event, um, they can look at it and say, actually, these are people we like the look of. Because what we found is we understand our values. We did a big piece in 2017 on our values. Um, and what we find works particularly well is when we work with organizations that have similar values. And if you can bring that parity in, actually you build great relationships for the long term rather than just one-off client engagements. And we took the decision to say we'd only really work with people that shared our values. Um, and we're going through a process at the moment of some of the clients we have that don't really fit that. The project will come to an end and it won't be a big push on either side to do another one. We've got other clients who are already talking about the 2019 projects over and above what we're already doing with them. And we have clients with long-term relationships. And, and it's good from that point of view. It just gives people the opportunity to see you're still there. And there isn't really a downside. So that's, that's a good point for me. I love our chats. Um, you know, if people have heard our previous uh, podcasts, they are of a, of a similar theme. And we never mentioned Trump once. We've not mentioned, I, uh, you see? Oh, no, I've done it again. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's wonderful. Just, go, just staying, staying with awards, and hopefully this is a two-parter uh, in terms of a podcast. There is a way of filling out an, an awards form, I think. You know, I was always told that there is a way to do it and a way not to do it. And I think, from my point of view, I'm just—I want to get your view on this. Is it about—is it about giving them as much information or too much information? How how far do you fly your own flag? Uh, what is there a balance? I, uh, in front of everyone, I I can be completely open and say I've actually forgotten to fill it in. <laughs> So we'd, we had agreed at a partners meeting we would do it and I kind of had my name tagged against it and then completely forgot all about it. And it was just the fact that an email came in from Edinburgh Chamber saying, don't forget, this is the cutoff. So I very quickly thought, oh heck, I better do something. And I think it was 800 words you had to put down. Um, and all I could really do, there was, there was no grand plan for my, I just actually put down, they had three things that you needed to talk about and I just wrote about that. Mm -hmm. um, I did it just in time, pressed the send button, sent it off, and then got on with other stuff, and then completely forgot I'd done it. Um, so it was quite a nice surprise when it came through. There possibly is, but I don't know what it is. But there's I just, no method in your mind. No, I just wrote from the heart and said, well, that's how we do it. Okay. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time trying to create special messages. I just actually kind of put down what we did. And some of it we'd already put into a, a couple of other things about our sustainability and our practices, and I just put that in. Um, so from my point of view, it was a very simple document I filled in from the heart and said, look, this is what we're about. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. So the learnings I'm getting from this is write from the heart. Mm -hmm. I quite like that. And be quite pragmatic. Yeah. We never set out to win an award. Um, as I said, I completely forgot about it until I got a memo, a note came through saying, you better do this. And then I quickly jumped and said, oh, flipping it. I better go and do that because I said I would. Uh, sent it off. But it, it wasn't something big. It wasn't one of our big objectives. But now it's happened. Yahoo, let's, let's make the most of it in the time that we've got. Um, and we'll go along to an event and it'll be a nice night 
um, and we'll meet some interesting people. I've already had one of the other uh, award nominees from a different category has made contact to a new saying, you go and you want to meet up beforehand. So hopefully we'll have a really nice night. What when is it? March? Uh, no, it's February, eighth of February, oh, at right. the Edinburgh International Conference Centre, and I believe there's about a thousand people going. So right. it's a it's a big do. This is this is a proper big do. Um, yeah. So yeah, that'll be interesting. It'll be nice, and it's great for. Um, unfortunately, Ant's in London, um, so he can't come. But Greta's available. Um, so well, the two of us will go along. And we'll Where the heck was my invite? Uh, well, I've only I can only afford two tickets. <laughs> I know what the price is. <laughs> I was quite surprised on that one. It's the first time I think we've ever been awarded, um, and then had to actually go and buy our own tickets. Um, but no, that's fine. It'll be a good night. Um, it's a nice thing to do. Um, well, can I wish you all the best? Thank you very much. I will be thinking about you on the eighth of Feb. Yep. And um, and let's do more of this, John. I think so. I think so. We've got a few. Yeah, we could talk to you afterwards and see how it went. Absolutely. Just in case we cause all sorts of trouble when we're in there. Well, you probably will. <laughs> Get hurry, it's been nice. Thanks, John.